chapter two part two of beyond these voices this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org beyond these voices by mary elizabeth braddon chapter two part two the footman flung open the tall door of signor canincio's best salon and announced the ladies the provana salon was startling in its afternoon glory the three long windows were open to the sunshine which in most people's rooms would have been excluded at this hour the balcony was full of choice flowers in turquoise and celadon vases from Valori the luxury of satin pillows overflowing sofas and armchairs the dresden cups and saucers and silver urn and tea-tray the three dogs running about with their ribbons and bells the gaudy cockatoo screaming on his perch guilia's blue silk tea-gown and miss thompson's mauve cashmere all lighted to splendour by the glory of the western sky made a confusion of colour but almost blinded lady felicia provana received her with grave courtesy and led her to his daughter's sofa she bent over guilia with an affectionate greeting and then sinking into the arm-chair to which provana led her begged somewhat piteously that the sunshine might be moderated a little a request that provana hastened to obey closing the heavy venetian shutters with his own hands Wheelie and i are too fond of our sunbath he said and we are apt to forget that everybody does not like being dazzled i came to san marco for the sun and it is seldom that i get enough but your salon is just a little dazzling and your dogs are more than a little intrusive lady felicia would have liked to add the spaniels having taken a fancy to her tortoise-shell cane and velvet skirt one had jumped upon her lap and the other two were disputing possession of her cane serviceable miss thompson was quick to the rescue carried off the dogs and restored the cane to its place by the visitor's chair while provana brought an olive wood table to lady felicia's elbow and stood ready to bring her teacup i hope you are pleased with san marco said granny not soaring above the normal conversation in the hotel we think it quite delightful so far provana replied and vera noticed that he never expressed an opinion without including his daughter it was always we or guilia and i and there was generally a glance in guilia's direction which emphasized the reference to her i love 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 the place already cried guilia who had beckoned vera to her sofa and was holding her hand most of all because i have found this sweet friend here you will let us be friends won't you cara granny carissima mia murmured her father reprovingly please don't let us be ceremonious in this desert island of a place said lady felicia with a graciousness that was new to vera i like to be called granny and i can be granny to the signorina as well as to this girl of my own flesh and blood you can hardly doubt signor provana that it is pleasant for me to find that my poor vera has now a sweet girl-friend in this hotel where we have lived three months and hardly made an acquaintance much less a friend 
but it has been your own fault granny interposed vera who was essentially truthful people really tried to be kind to us when we were strangers if you mean that some of the people were odiously pushing and officious i cannot contradict you replied the descendant of the disbrows with ineffable scorn but granny was not scornful in her demeanour towards the roman financier to him and to guilia she was granny in her most urbane and sympathetic mood she was charmed to find him so much of an englishman my mother was english to the core of her heart she was the daughter of a colonial merchant whose offices were in mincing lane and his home in lavender sweep i am told there is no such thing as lavender sweep now provana went on regretfully but when i was a boy my grandfather's garden was in the country and there were gardens all about it and fields of lavender said guilia oh do say that there were fields of lavender no the lavender fields had gone far away into kent only the name was left and now there are streets of shabby houses and shops and not a vestige of garden encouraged by lady felicia's urbanity signor provana went on to tell her that he was plebeian on both sides and that all there was of nobility about him belonged to guilia my wife came of one of the noblest families in italy he said and when we want to tease guilia we call her contesina a title to which she has a right but which always makes her angry i don't want to be better than my father guilia cried eagerly if he is not a noble he comes of a line of good and gifted men my grandfather's name is revered in rome and his charitable works remain behind him to show that if he was one of the cleverest roman citizens he had a heart as fine as his brain that is the noblest kind of nobility known a vero granny granny smiled assent and entertained a poor opinion of guilia's intellect a shallow creature spoilt by overmuch indulgence and inclined to presume the two girls were sitting in the sun by an open window a long way off they had their own table and miss thompson waited upon them with assiduity granny had been warned that there was to be no doleful talk no thinly disguised pity for the consumptive girl all was to be as bright as the room full of flowers and the untempered sunshine provana told lady felicia that he had ordered a landau from genoa which had arrived that afternoon the horses are strong and used to hill work and there is an extra pair for difficult roads he said guilia and i mean to see everything interesting that can be seen between breakfast and sundown of course we must be indoors before sunset everybody must in this treacherous climate i hope miss davis may be allowed to go with us sometimes indeed often always padre mio always cried guilia from her distant sofa she had begun to listen when her father talked of the carriage vera is to come with us always you will let her come won't you cara granny please don't ask her vera said dutifully that would be deserting granny she likes me to read to her in the afternoon she shall enjoy your hospitality now and then signorina and i will do without my afternoon novel but you would soon tire of her if she were with you often tire of her impossible why i don't even tire of miss thompson guilia said naively 
please let miss davis come with us whenever you can spare her provana said when he took leave of lady felicia at the foot of the stairs leading to her upper floor you see how charmed my daughter is at having found an english friend and i think you must understand how anxious i am to make her happy lady felicia was all sympathy and placed her granddaughter at the signorina's disposal if this man was of plebeian origin he had a certain personal dignity that impressed her nor was she unaffected by his importance in that mysterious world of which she knew so little the world of boundless wealth when she arrived somewhat breathless in the shabby second-floor salon she sank into her chair with an impatient movement and breathed a fretful sigh think of this great coarse man with his balcony of flowers and four horses to his landau she exclaimed disdainfully these provanas absolutely exude gold oh granny he is not the least bit purse-proud or vulgar vera protested you must see that he has only one desire in life to make his daughter happy and to prolong her life i hope god will be good to that poor father and spare that sweet girl the girl is nice enough and they will make this place pleasant for you extra horses for the hills and i have not been able to afford a one-horse fly it is hard for you granny dear but we have been quite comfortable and you have been better than you were at brighton last year yes i have been better but it is the same story everywhere the same pinching and watching lest the end of the quarter should find me penniless lady felicia resented narrow means as a personal affront from providence signor provana lost no time in returning granny's visit he appeared at three o'clock on the following day bringing his daughter and a basket of flowers that had arrived that morning from genoa the resources of san marco not going beyond carnations roses and anemones i fear you must have found the stairs rather tiring lady felicia said when she had welcomed guilia not a bit i rather like stairs you see i came in my carriage and it was explained that guilia had an invalid chair in which her father and the footman carried her up and down stairs of course i could walk up and down just like other people guilia said lightly but this foolish father of mine won't let me i feel as if i were the princess badroulbador coming from the bath in her palanquin only there is no aladdin to fall in love with me aladdin will come in good time said lady felicia i don't want him i want no one but papa when i was three years old i used to think i should marry papa as soon as i grew up and now i know i can't it makes no difference i don't want anybody else an engagement was made for the next day they were to start at eleven o'clock for the roman amphitheatre near ventimiglia looking at the old churches and palm groves of bordighera on their way it would be a long drive but there were no alarming hills lady felicia was invited but was far too much an invalid to accept there was no making a secret of granny's bad health her bronchial trouble was the staple of her conversation and now a new life began for vera a life that would have been all joy but for the shadow that went with them everywhere like a cloud that follows the traveller through a smiling sky that shadow of doom which the victim saw not but which those who loved her could not forget the shadow made a bond of sympathy between mario provana and vera 
the consciousness of that sad secret never left them and many confidential words and looks drew them closer together in the course of those long days in lovely places where guilia was always the gayest of the little party and eager in her enjoyment of everything that was beautiful or interesting from a group of peasant children with whom she stopped to talk to the remains of a roman citadel that took her fancy back to the caesars the chief care of father governess and friend was to prevent her doing too much nothing in her own consciousness warned her how soon languor and fatigue followed on exertion and excitement miss thompson was always ready with a supporting arm always tactful in cutting short any little bit of exploration that might tire her charge she was one of those admirable women who seem born to teach and cherish fragile girlhood people almost thought she must have been born middle-aged it was unthinkable that she herself had been young and had required to be taught and cared for she was highly accomplished and the things she knew were known so thoroughly that one might suppose all those dates and dry historical details had been born with her ready pigeonholed in her brain signor provana treated her with unvarying respect and always referred any doubtful question in history or science to miss thompson but her most valuable gift was a disposition of unvarying placidity nobody had ever seen lucy thompson out of temper the most irritating of pupils had never been able to put her in a passion she stood on one side as it were while a minx misbehaved herself her aloofness was her only reproof and one that was almost always efficacious while guilia provana that placid temper had never been put to the proof guilia had a sweet nature was quick to learn and had a yearning for knowledge that was pathetic when one thought how brief must be her use for earthly wisdom and what was better she loved her governess miss thompson had a pleasant time in signor provana's household moving from one lovely scene to another or in rome sharing all the pleasures that the most enchanting of cities could afford plays operas concerts races afternoon parties in noble houses from the day his daughter's health began to fail and the appearance of lung trouble made the future full of fear signor provana made up his mind that her life should never be the common lot of invalids however few the years she had to live however inevitable that she was to die in early youth the years that were hers should not be treated as a long illness the horrible monotony of sick rooms should never be hers it should be the business of everybody about her to keep the dark secret of decay her trained nurses were not to be called nurses but maids and were to wear no hospital uniform everything about her was to be gay and fair to look upon a luxury of colour and light and she was to enjoy every amusement that was possible for her without actual risk into that brief life all the best things that earth can give were to be crowded she was to know the cleverest and most agreeable people she was to read the best books to hear the most exquisite music to see the finest pictures the most gifted actors 
nothing famous or beautiful was to be kept from her from the first note of warning this had been giulia's education and miss thompson's chief duty had been to read the best books of the best writers to an intelligent and sympathetic pupil there had been no dull lessons no long exercises in the grammar of various tongues giulia's education after her fifteenth birthday had been literature in the best sense of that sometimes ill-used word signor provana's system had been so far successful that his daughter had lived much longer than the specialists had expected and her girlhood had been utterly happy but the shadow was always in the background of their lives and wherever he went with his idolized child there was always the fear that he might leave her among the flowers and the palm groves that filled her with joyous surprise on their arrival and go back to his workaday life lonely and desolate vera was astonished at the things giulia knew and was sorely ashamed of her own ignorance for the first time in her life she had come into close association with cultivated minds with people whose conversation though without pedantry was full of allusions to books that she had never read and knowledge that she had never heard of to know giulia and her governess was a liberal education and vera showed a quickness in absorbing knowledge that interested her new friends and made them eager to help her the world of poetry lay open and untrodden before this daughter of a poet the idea of her friend's parentage fascinated giulia does she not look like a poet's daughter she asked her father and provana assented with smiling interest all giulia's geese are swans he said but i believe she has found a real swan this time vera's shyness wore off after two or three excursions in that ideal springtime the weather had been exceptionally mild this season and there had been no unkind skies or cruel mistral to gainsay dr wilmot's praise of san marco it might almost seem as if provana had been able to buy sunshine as well as other luxuries day after day the friendly little company of four set out upon some new excursion to spots whose very name seemed a poem to santa croce to dolce acqua to finamarina to cola the little white town among the mountains where there were a church and a picture gallery or by the roman road to the tower of mastacini on a high plateau crowned with fir trees with its view over sea and shore valley and wood and far-off horizon a place for a picnic luncheon and an afternoon of delicious idleness to vera such days were unspeakably sweet could it be strange that she loved the girl who had begun by loving her and who was her first girl-friend if she was not so impulsive as giulia she was as sensitive and as sympathetic and giulia's sad history had interested her before they met as friendship ripened in the familiarity of daily companionship her interest in giulia's father grew stronger day by day his devotion to his daughter was the most beautiful thing she had ever known he was the first man with whom she had ever lived in easy intimacy for the uncles by blood or by marriage in whose houses she had been a visitor had always held her at arm's length and her shyness had been increased by their coldness 
the only creature of that superior sex with whom she had ever been at her ease was her young cousin claude rutherford he had been kind to her and with him she had been happy but that friendship was of a long time ago ages and ages it seemed to her when she conjured up a vision of delicious days in the park hair-breadth escapes in claude's dinghy and thrilling rides on his arabian pony vera noticed that signor provana did not often join in the animated conversation which Greeley and her governess kept up untiringly during their morning drives he was silent for the most part and always meditative his dark grey eyes seemed to be seeing things that were far away you see papa sitting opposite us cara said guilia but you must not think he is really with us he is in london or in paris negotiating a loan that may mean war he has to provide the sinews of war sometimes and i tell him he is responsible for the lives of men his thoughts are a thousand miles away and he doesn't hear a word of our foolish talk known a vero padre he looked at her with his fond parental smile i hear something like the songs of birds he said and it helps me to think go on talking anima mia i like the sound if i miss the sense i have been telling vera about browning she knows nothing of browning though she is a poet's daughter is not that dreadful i have had only granny's books and she does not think there has been an english poet since byron we are birds of passage and granny has only her poor little travelling library but it has always seemed to me that byron and my father were enough i have never wearied of their poetry oh but we shall widen your horizon said guilia you shall read all my books and you must lend me your father's poems i shall be very glad if you will read some of my favourites all all when i admire i am insatiable guilia was generally silent on their homeward journeys wearied by the day's pleasure in spite of the watchful care that had spared her every exertion when the carriage had to stop at the foot of some grassy hill at the top of which they were to take their picnic luncheon or from which some vaunted view was to be seen provana would take his daughter in his arms and carry her up the slope and once when vera watched him coming slowly down such a hill with a tender form held by one strong arm and the fair head nestling on his shoulder she was reminded of that divine figure of the shepherd carrying a lamb the pathetic symbol of superhuman love her eyes filled with tears as she looked at him holding the frail girl with such tender solicitude walking with such care and in the homeward drive when guilia was reclining among her pillows with closed eyes vera saw the profound melancholy in the father's face and realized the effort and agony of every day in which he had to maintain an appearance of cheerfulness these pilgrimages to exquisite scenes under a smiling sky were to him a kind of martyrdom knowing all that lay before him counting the hours that remained before the inevitable parting 
vera knew what was coming dr wilmot had told her that the inn could not be far off the most famous physician in rome had come to san marco one afternoon passing through on his way to a patient at nice provana had told his daughter and coming casually to take his luncheon at the hotel and the great man had confirmed wilmot's worst augury the end was near but even after this guilia rallied and the picnics in romantic places were gayer than ever though dr wilmot went with them armed with restoratives for his patient and pretending to be frivolous it was on the morning after a jaunt that had seemed especially delightful to guilia that lidcott came into vera's room with a dismal countenance yet a sort of lugubrious satisfaction in being the first to impart melancholy news i'm afraid it's all over with your poor young friend miss she was taken suddenly bad at ten o'clock last night with an hemorrhage dr wilmot was here all night i saw the day nurse for a minute just now as she was taking up her own breakfast tray they're always short-handed in this house signor canincio being that mean and the nurse says her young lady's a little better this morning but she'll never leave her bed again she's quite sensible and she doesn't think she's dangerously ill even now and all her thought is to prevent her father worrying about her worrying nurse says he sits near her bedroom door with his face hidden in his hands listening and waiting as still as if he were made of stone would they let me see her vera asked i think not miss she's to be kept very quiet and not to be allowed to speak vera went down to the corridor directly she was dressed and sat there near the salon doors waiting patiently on the chance of seeing one of the nurses or miss thompson she would not thrust herself upon signor provana's sorrow even by so much as an inquiry or a message but she liked to wait at his door to be near if guilia wanted her they had been like sisters in these few weeks that seemed so long a space in her life and she felt as if she were losing a sister she had been sitting there nearly an hour when signor provana came out with a packet of letters for the post he had been obliged to answer the business letters of the morning the machinery of his life could not be stopped for an hour for any reason not even if his only child were dying there was a look in his face that froze vera's heart what the nurse had said of him was true he was like a man turned to stone he took no notice of vera he did not see her though he passed close to her as he went downstairs to post his letters a matter too important to be trusted to a servant vera was standing at the end of the corridor when he came back and this time he saw her and stopped to speak ah miss davis the hour i have foreseen for a long time has come i have thought of it every day of my life and i have dreamt of it a hundred times but the reality is worse than my worst dream he was passing her and turned back we dare not let her speak every breath is precious to-day she must see no one but her nurse not even me but if she should be a shade better to-morrow will you come to her i know she will want to see you i will come at any hour night or day i hope you know how dearly i love her vera answered and then broke down completely and sobbed aloud 
when she recovered her face provana was gone and she went slowly back to the upper floor where granny was waiting for her to sympathize with her indignation at certain offensive or supposed to be offensive remarks in the letters of a sister-in-law a niece and a dear friend but indeed dear granny that could not be meant unkindly urged vera for this offender was her favourite aunt lady oakhampton who had been kind to her not meant what could it mean but a sneer at my poverty i know aunt mildred wouldn't knowingly wound you don't contradict vera i know my nephew's wife a snob to the tip of her nails she feels sure san marco must be just the place for us so pretty and so quiet and so inexpensive she dared not say cheap and she does not wonder that i have stayed longer than i talked about staying when i left london lady felicia had remained in the dull hotel des anglais six weeks beyond her original idea six weeks longer than the london doctor had insisted upon she had stayed into the celestial light of an italian april to the delight of vera who had thus enjoyed a new life with her new friend she was not frivolous in her attachments or ready to fall in love with new faces but in sober truth she had never before had the chance of such a friendship a girl of her own age highly cultivated attractive and sympathetically eager to give her the affection of a sister it would have been too cruel if granny's predetermination to leave italy in the first week of march had cut short that lovely friendship happily granny had found out that march in london might be more perilous for her bronchial tubes than december and had made a good bargain with the rapacious canincio since several of his spinsters and widows were leaving him it was the third day after guilia's fatal attack that miss thompson came to the upper floor to summon vera to the sick-room the dear child has been pining to see you ever since yesterday morning when she rallied a little she has written your name on her slate again and again but the doctor was afraid she would excite herself and perhaps try to talk she has promised to be quite calm and not to speak and you must be very very quiet dear and make no fuss you can just sit by her bedside for a little while and hold her hand but above all you must not cry any agitation might be fatal is there no hope no hope vera asked piteously no my dear it is a question of hours guilia's room was so full of flowers that it looked already like a chapelle ardente sinking slowly surely down into the darkness of the grave she was still surrounded with brightness and beauty windows and shutters were open to the sky and the sun and the blue plain of the sea showed far away melting into the purple horizon her three dogs were on the bed jane seymour nestling against her arm the other two lying at her feet they were transformed creatures no impetuous barking or restless jumping about the wistful eyes gazed at the face they loved the silken ears drooped over the silken coverlet the fringed paws lay still the dogs knew 
Wheelie gazed at her friend with those two brilliant eyes and touched her lips with a pale and wasted hand as a sign that she must not speak and then she wrote on her slate eagerly i have wanted to see you so long so long and now this may be the last time i did not know i was so ill but i know now oh who will care take of my father when he is old who will love him as i have done i thought i should always be there always his dearest friend you must be his friend vera he will be fond of you for my sake you will find my place by and by never darling no one can fill your place vera said in a quiet voice full of calm tenderness a strange suppressed sound half sigh half sob startled her and looking at the window she saw signor provana sitting on the balcony motionless and watchful again giulia's tremulous hand wrote don't go till they send you away sit by me and let me look at you oh what happy days we have had among the lovely hills you will think of me in years to come when you are in italy always always i shall think of you and remember you wherever i am and now i won't talk any more but i will stay till miss thompson takes me away miss thompson came very soon and vera bent over the dying girl and kissed the cold brow arrivederci carissima i shall come again when miss thompson fetches me she left the bedside with that word of hope the luminous eyes following her to the door the dogs did not stir nor the figure in the balcony miss thompson and the nurse sat silent and motionless a stillness so intense seemed strange in a sunlit room gay with flowers it was late next morning when vera fell into a troubled sleep filled with cruel dreams dreams that mocked her with visions of guilia well and joyous in one of those romantic scenes where they had been happy together in hours that were so bright that vera had forgotten the shadow that followed them lidcott came with the morning tea and there was a letter on the tray from the foreign gentleman said lidcott who had never attempted signor provana's name vera tore open the envelope and looked wonderingly at the page where nothing in the strong stern penmanship indicated sorrow and agitation my girl is at rest he wrote she knew very little acute suffering only three days and nights of weariness she gave me her good-bye kiss after three o'clock this morning and the light faded out of the eyes that have been my guiding stars to make her happy is what i have lived for since i knew that i was to lose her on this side of my grave if prayer could reverse the omnipotence decree mine would have been the mortal disease and i should have gone down to death leaving her in this beautiful world lovely and full of life you have been very kind and have helped me to make these last weeks happy for her i shall never forget you and never cease to feel grateful for your sweetness and sympathy when she knew that she was dying she begged me to lay her at rest in this place where she had been so happy those were the words she wrote upon her slate when she was dying her last words the last effort of her ebbing life and i shall obey her you will go with us to the cemetery to-morrow morning i hope though you are not of our church End of chapter two